Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. So for a couple weeks now, we've been talking about missions. If you haven't been here for a couple weeks, we've been talking about missions. If you've been here for a couple weeks, you know we've been talking about missions. And, and so uh, two weeks ago, we heard from a missionary that we support as a church, and his name's Steve, Steve Kramer. And he talked about what it means to minister to those who are vulnerable, and, and specifically spe- those with special needs or those with mental health issues or uh, uh, single uh, pregnant moms um, and the unborn. And, and it was just really a beautiful testimony. And if you were here, you saw that uh, he had cerebral palsy, and, and his testimony was, was just moving. And he had this video that played, and I cried during the video. And, um, but it was so good. And then last week, uh, we heard from Elliot Bland and John Zick about, uh, about youth ministry and about uh, this new uh, ministry here to SoCal called Youth Alive. It's not, it's not new to... Uh, new in general, but we haven't had a Youth Alive missionary in SoCal for a long time, and so Elliot stepped up to the plate, and, and so the mission field, different than a lot of other uh, mission fields, this mission field is the school campus, and so we're get, getting behind that, and we've been talking to our youth, and last night we had our first uh, student leadership hangout, and uh, for those students in our youth group who want to take the next step and be leaders, and so we're excited about that. Um, and over time, uh, being in this church, you've probably heard about all the other missions things we partner with. And uh, sometimes we like to go on missions trips. And to, uh, just in late November, early December, Ben and I went on a trip to go, uh, kind of a vision trip to check out this uh, ministry called Kids Around the World and what they do and if we could partner with them as a church. And it uh, turns out we're going to because it's awesome. And we, we got to feed um, hungry kids and build playgrounds for them to play. And, and, and in Ecuador, playgrounds like Disneyland, it's like n- something they've never seen. It's just the, the craziest thing. And these kids are just like waiting like this. And you're like, all right, go. <laughs> they run. And then, and they were all dressed up for the grand opening of this playground, like in their nicest outfits, but then just tearing them up because they're just, <laughs> it was really funny. Like all the parents, like the moms are on their high heels and they live in bamboo shacks. And so it's like they have this one outfit that's just hanging up and they're ready to wear it whenever they can. Uh, but they're in these nice, nice outfits, and then they're just tearing them up, playing on the playground. But you see a different type of of need that you you don't really know about, and that's why missions is so important. But then we also have um, it's upwards of 25, 30-something missionaries that we support monthly, which is a huge deal because there's some mission fields that we can't go to all the time um, as a church. So we have missionaries that we send out, and we uh, do all that, but... You hear about all this stuff, missions, 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 right? And so to, today, I'm going to answer the question, why missions? And you, you probably are thinking, like, why do we need to answer that question? It's pretty self-explanatory. But there, there's more to it, I think, than we've, than we've given credit, right? And so our call from Jesus, um, I'm getting ahead of myself. Missions, here's the thing. Missions is not, it's not this tax write-off or a cha- or charitable cause, I believe that missions is a call from God himself. Amen? And, and let me show you. So our call from Jesus written in Matthew 28, 19 is, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So the call here is to go, not stay. Amen? 
So I believe that the church, and specifically our church, is not supposed to be a church that's called to just support missions, but to be a church that's on mission. Right? So I don't want to be a community of people that just support other people that do missions. I want to be a church that is on mission at all times. And that's the title of today's message, A Church on Mission. If you take notes, that's awesome. You can write that down at the top, A Church on Mission. If you don't take notes, uh, then just listen real good. <laughs> I tell our youth, I was like, hey, bring a notebook, bring your Bible, take notes. Something that I, and if you, if you don't take notes and you're wondering why people do, let me give a, let me give a case for taking notes. Uh, sometimes in my office, I'll go, if I'm having a, excuse my uh, French, but if I have a brain fart uh, <laughs> while I'm trying to, like, to uh, write a sermon or something, I'll go back and I'll read, like, a message from a youth camp in, like, 2015, <laughs> and it's like, wow, that was so good, and it'll, like, reignite something in me that happened all those years ago, right? And so taking notes is just so that you can go back and 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 reignite a flame that, that God put in your heart during a certain time or whatever. So if you're taking notes, uh, that's the title of the message. A church on mission. A church where our whole goal as a body of believers is how can we reach the ones far from God and bring them into community with him. Amen? How can we reach those who are far from God in this very moment and bring them into community with him? And that looks like a bunch of different things. It looks like global missions going and, and, and spreading the gospel. It looks like going down the street to your neighbor's house and, and bringing them cookies. Hey, welcome to the neighborhood. Uh, how can I pray for you? And they're like, what? You know? And if you've ever done something nice for your neighbors, that's usually like a shock to them. And if it, a neighbor's ever done anything nice to you, it's usually a shock. You're like, wow, that neighbor is so nice. Anybody ever had a neighbor do something nice for you? And you're like, wow, most of the neighbors don't do that, but this one did. And it's simple. You don't have to do a lot, but you could show the love of Christ anywhere. Amen? But I believe there's two main calls for the church. Everybody say two. Two. Two main calls for the church. One is to worship God together, which we're doing today. We get together as a church so that we can lift up the name of Jesus and join with all of heaven singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? And then the second one is to make disciples. To worship God together. And to make disciples. There's a lot of other things the church is called to do, but these, I think these are the main two. To worship God together and to make disciples. So missions is to feed the hungry and take care of the poor because Jesus calls us to do those things. But more importantly, missions is to, through many different methods, invite people close and far to sit at the table with Jesus. So missions isn't just to go feed the hungry and build a playground and do all this kind of stuff. Missions is to get people who are far from God to sit at the table with Jesus. Missions isn't a thing that the church does. Missions is the church. That's the whole point. (laughs) The going and making disciples is the command Jesus gave to the church. So it should shape our entire mindset locally and globally. So mission, what I'm trying to say today is that mission shouldn't just be an aspect of our church. It is the church. And it's not just missions trips or missionaries. We all are missionaries to a certain mission field. And how are we going to take on that mantle and that call and to go and to make disciples? To go... And make disciples to worship God together 
but I'm going to emphasize the go part. Whether it's down the street or across the ocean, we all have a call to go. Amen? Now you might be saying, Brett, you've, you, you're emphasizing the go like a lot. Like you keep saying, go, go, go. We get it. Like we're going to go. Awesome. But why am I emphasizing the go? Because throughout the history of the church and even the history of Israel, for some reason, we try really, really hard to stay. You read it throughout the Bible. You re- you, you've seen it in the church. You've seen it in us. The, the call sounds great. It's like, yes, I'm going to go. I'm going to go do it. I'm gonna, this is going to be awesome. And then you get home and you sit on your couch like, oh, but this is so nice, you know. <laughs> I'm going to go on this mission trip and impact the world. Uh, and, then, and then you hear this little voice in your head, but, oh, but you've been saving for that trip to Europe. Or you've been saving for that trip to Hawaii. Nothing against those things. Those are great. I want to go one day. But, but it's like, hey, that's more important than this. And that gets kind of dangerous. Agreed? Thank you. Um, for a second, I thought that was my son. I was like, Vince, are you here? But anyways, never mind. He's at home. But God is a God on the move. Amen? Not confined to a space. Let me show you. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Second Samuel chapter 7. And while you're doing that, I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview, a quick recap, if you will, of what's been going on in Israel's history with God here. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, you could turn your Bibles there, or if you have it on your phone, you could uh, go there. If you don't, we're going to have it up on the screen. But basically, here it is. God made Adam and Eve. Then they sinned. The fall happens. And then you got... Noah's Ark, you got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the story of Joseph goes to Egypt, and then all of Israel goes to Egypt, and then they get enslaved, and then they get freed, you know, with, with Moses and all that, and they cross the Red Sea, and then they're in the wilderness for a bunch of years. And then eventually, somewhere after that, they lose the Ark of the Covenant. Like, come on, guys, you had one job, you know? How do you lose it, you know? Imagine, imagine, the, <laughs> imagine the person who had to come back and be like, hey, uh... <laughs> So I've got good news and bad news. And then they're like, what's the good news? Actually, there's no good news. It's all bad. We lost the Ark of the Covenant, right? Um, it's probably some youth kids or something. But uh, it's probably the youth pastor, to be honest. They, if they had one of those, it was probably the youth pastor. He comes back to the senior pastor. Hey, so we lost the Ark of the Covenant. Can't we just make a new one? No, okay. Um, anyways, so they lost <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant, which signified the presence of God. Uh, and they also made uh, a tabernacle, or they, they had made the Ark of the Covenant, and they made a tabernacle, which is basically a fancy word for a, a tent of worship. Uh, and then eventually they lost the Ark of the Covenant, and then David, uh, the famous uh, Goliath slayer turned king, uh, gets the Ark of the Covenant back. So he's got a lot of, he's got a good resume. You know, he killed Goliath. He, uh, he didn't kill Saul. He became king, and he got the Ark of the Covenant back. So, way to go, David. But, in 2 Samuel 7, 2, and remember, that the reason I'm saying this is I'm going to prove to you that God is a God on the move, not a God who stays in one location, okay? In 2 Samuel 7, 2, 
David says to the prophet Nathan, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. So what's he saying here? He's saying, I've got this big, luxurious house, and God's presence dwells in a tent. You feel like that's a pretty honorable thought. You're like, wow, that's nice of you, David. You want to treat God so nice and build him a house? And so Nathan thought the same thing we would. And Nathan, the prophet, suggests that, well, go do something about it. And, and, and he suggests even that God would bless it. But he was wrong. We often, oftentimes skim over this part, but God says to Nathan to tell David in verse 6, he says, I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. He's basically saying, I've been living in a house this whole time. In verse 7, God continues, in all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people? Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So he's saying here, he's like, I've lived in a tent this whole time, and I've never even asked for a house. Not once. So what this is saying is God didn't ask for the temple. He seemed to be fine with the tent. Maybe even prefer it. Which this is different than what we've like thought. It's like, oh, the te- even us reading the Old Testament, oh, the temple is holy, you know. And not that it's not, because... God eventually blesses it and, and moves in, but it wasn't his idea. Why? Why is it not his idea? Now, this is, this is some speculation here, but we see the fruit of it. And so uh, the reason I think that God prefers the tent to the temple is because the tent is temporary and mobile. And the temple is set. Two things I believe is that, number one, God is, God is always on the move. This is why he prefers the tent, at least it seems. That God is on the move. And number two, it wasn't his end goal to build this big, luxurious temple. The temple was never the final plan. God knew where his presence would dwell eventually. And we'll get to that soon. But the interesting thing was God then tells David that he's not going to let him build the temple. He says, I'm, I'm not going to let you build this house. And he instead says, I'm going to build you a house. That's a pretty good trade-off. <laughs> David's like, uh, okay, you know. But he basically says he's going to bless him for generation after generation. But he says, I'm not going to let you build this house. But then eventually David builds these plans for this temple, and then God allows him to, to let Solomon build it, who's his son, later. So Solomon builds the temple after David is gone. And Solomon then invites God to move into the temple. It's move-in day. Solomon buys a U-Haul and says, God, come on in. <laughs> and so God does. God, God blesses this temple and his spirit moves into this, to this temple. But he gives this sobering warning to Solomon. That at least for me, when I've read this, I've kind of skipped over this part too. And God says, but if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, I, 
that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them. And the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and hiss, and they will say, Why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. So basically... What this is saying is God, God's saying to Solomon, all right, I'll move into this temple. And my presence will reside here, and I'll bless it, and my name will be lifted high. But if you ever ditch me for all the other gods, and if you ever think that I'm just confined to this space, I'll tear the whole thing down. It's like, whoa. If God told me that, I'd be like, hey, the tent's cool, man. Like, you know, <laughs> we don't need to build this temple. But he goes on with it and, keep, and, and builds the temple. But God was very serious. If you think that I'm confined to this space, I'll tear the whole thing down. Which he did later. Solomon, like God knew he was going to, Solomon ended up building hundreds of temples for all the pagan gods of all of his pagan wives. Solomon was really into marrying like princesses from other countries and stuff. And so they would come and it was like a uh, uh, like a truce kind of marriage, you know, that they would have in the old times. And so each time he would do that, he'd build a temple for their God. And how it worked back in those days was they would build this temple and all the temples were built pretty similar to how we would hear about the temple of God. It's this kind of, there's this court inside, and it's, there's a court outside, and then you walk in, and there's this, like, holy of holies, this back part of it, and you walk into that. And in all the pagan temples, when you walk back into that, there's an image of the God. And when you walk into God's temple, there's a table and a candle. So God's temple is the only one without an image. Why? Because he doesn't, he doesn't live there. He's not confined to that space. So all these other temples, when you walk in, you see this statue of their God, of whatever it is. And then you walk into the Holy of Holies of, of God's temple, and it's a table and a lamp. Just to signify that his presence is there. He wasn't confined to that space, and he didn't want to be. He was fine with the tent, remember? (laughs) And that's why he gave that warning, because God knew there'd be the temptations because of the temple to treat him like all the other pagan gods who had a temple. And God didn't want that. And so true to his word, in 587 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came down and tore down the temple because the Israelites had walked away from God and, and worshipped other pagan gods. So the temple came crashing down, just like he said. So later on, and you hear about this in the Bible, they rebuild the temple. 
It's a much smaller version, but they rebuild it. And this is the temple that would be there when Jesus comes into the picture. This is the temple uh, where Jesus would be flipping tables and doing stuff like that, right? This is, this is that. And, uh, and so, the, and I just thought of this, but that story of Jesus flipping tables in the temple tells us that <laughs> Israel still didn't have it right. They still didn't get the picture of what God wanted to do. And so that's why Jesus goes in and he's like, you desecrate, you know, my, the house of my father. And he's flipping these tables and getting all mad, right? But then Jesus dies on the cross and something amazing happens. Matthew 27, 51 says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, which I believe signifies from heaven to earth. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. And so that curtain or that veil that was there that tore from top to bottom, what that was is that was like the separator. It was a big, thick curtain. It's not just a curtain that you just, it, barely, it rips easy, right? This is like, there's no way this thing rips. But this curtain is a curtain that separates the outer court to the, the Holy of Holies, which is supposed to basically protect that inner court from people who aren't holy enough to enter, it was even crazy enough where whenever someone would go in, they'd tie a rope around their ankle just because they think if, like, they weren't worthy, they'd die. So they'd tug on the rope. You good? They'd tug back. I'm good. You know? <laughs> and then they'd, like, pull them out. If Imagine you come to church, you got to tie a rope around your leg every time. Your spouse has to stand outside. You good? <laughs> you know? I'm still good. This worship song is really good. You want to switch? You know, you walk outside. You know, of... But that's how it was. It was like. It was very closed off. And so this veil ripped in half, signifying that there's no more a barrier between us and God. He's saying there's no more tying the rope around your ankle. <laughs> I've got you. Like, come, come and be with me. But it begs the question. So there was the tabernacle. Then they built the temple. The temple went down and they rebuilt the temple and then the curtain tears so the temple is basically obsolete at this point so where does the temple go and this is the whole point of today first corinthians three sixteen says do you not know that you are god's temple and that god's spirit dwells in you so the reason the veil torn is because the spirit left the temple and inhabited us. That's where the temple went. It went to me and it went to you, each and every one of you. We, we carry the spirit of God. So you might be thinking, what's the point, Brett? The point is that God did away with the building. Which he didn't suggest in the first place. And decided to instead let his spirit dwell in us. Why? For the same reason the building wasn't his idea. Because he's mobile. Not static. The point of the church was not to eventually just turn into the temple again. The point of this church is not to be a temple. Where we think the only place God's presence resides is in this building. God's presence doesn't reside here. We meet here, 
And because we meet here and lift God's name, remember the, one of the most important things I say is we gather together to worship God. And so when we're all here, God's presence is here not because of the building but because of us. God's spirit dwells in us. He is here as well and not the other way around. The temple was never supposed to be the focus. This is why God was weary of building it in the first place. He's like, you're not supposed to look to the temple for me. Look to me for me. (laughs) God was the focus. That's why in the Bible, the whole thing, miracles don't happen in the temple. Miracles happen wherever God was. Miracles happen wherever Jesus was. And then after Jesus rose again, miracles happened wherever his disciples were. Miracles didn't happen in the temple. Why? Because God didn't want the temple to be the focus. God's trying to say that I go where I go, and, and, and my people go where I tell them to go, and wherever they are, my presence is there also. It's not confined to a building. It's not confined to four walls. God is not a place. He's a person. And the whole reason for today's message and the whole reason we need to be a church on mission is because of the same sobering warning that God gave Solomon. That if we ever try to confine God's space to these four walls, his presence will leave altogether. God's saying, I'm not stuck in the church building. I'm not stuck on Sunday mornings. I'm not stuck on Wednesday nights, youth. That's not the only place that you find God. Just like he told Solomon, if you try to keep me in this box, I won't be there. Let us not be a church that tries to confine God to this space. Because he's called us to go. Amen? And that's the point of talking about missions. And when we commit to supporting missionaries through these faith promise cards and we and we say we have an annual commitment or a monthly commitment and we're going to help support missionaries that go around all the world, that's going. That's enabling the, the go. That's enabling the go and make disciples, right? When we go on a missions trip like we're hoping to do this year, that's answering the call to go. And students, when you decide that your campus is a mission field that you would love to reach, that's answering the call to go. And something as simple as, like I said earlier, us going to our neighbor's house and bringing them dinner and then saying like hey are you doing okay if you're not I'd love to pray for you or if you are doing okay I'd love to thank God for that or simple as like hey we got this thing coming up at church would you like to come with me but let me be clear they don't have to come here to experience Jesus they can experience it wherever you go the point of here is not for people to meet God here. It's for us to worship Him together here. And so when we're all together and when we're all gathering, the more of us that are here, you, you feel that the presence of God is so sweet. Why? Because God's not in this building because of the building. He's in this building because of us. And when we, when we help plan a church in L.A. like we've been you got, those of you who are there on that Sunday, we sent out a, a couple who's actually my family, and they, they used to be a part of this church, and now they're planning a church in L.A. When we do that, when we enable that, that's answering the call to go. 
when we partner with CityServe, helping those who are vulnerable, that's answering the call to go. Whether it's near or far, our call is to go. Amen? Let's be a church on mission. Let's be a church that doesn't just, we don't just come on Sunday mornings to check a box. I went to church. I'm a better person now. Because then we're just turning this place into the temple again. When actually the temple is us. So as a church, you might be still asking the question, why do we talk about missions? The whole point of today's message is the reason we talk about missions is because we're called to go. And God wants to go. Whether we join him or not, he's going to go and he's going to do his thing and God's going God's to reach the world and I just want to be a part of it, amen? And so whether, whether you think, man, you know what? I'm not in the place to go on a mission trip or I'm not, that's okay. Fill out one of these faith promise cards and just say like, I'm going to support whoever's able to go, right? And this is our mission support. And, or if you're thinking as a student, man, like I would, I really want to figure out how to reach my campus. Then like come talk to me. We got this, you know, we'll do it together. We'll hook you up with Elliot and Youth Alive, right? Or if, or if you're thinking of ways, how can I reach my neighborhood? We're going to do something coming up. It's like the Random Acts of Kindness Day and we're going to make it a point. Let's reach our street. Like if you can't reach your cul-de-sac, how are we going to reach the world? You know what I mean? It's like, I want to go and reach the world for Jesus. How about the neighbor across the street? No, not them, <laughs> right? They're weird. They smell funny, you know? I've never seen them leave their garage, you know, whatever. I don't know what it is. But God's calling us to go, amen? Will you stand up with us, with me and the team? We're going to worship together. But I just want to pray a prayer over you. And we're going to sing that song again, bigger than I thought, because, because just like the story we're talking about. God's bigger than the temple. God's bigger than whatever word box we're trying to put him in. And God is doing something amazing, and I want to partner with him in that. Amen? So let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. God, we worship you. God, you're worthy of all of our praise. God, we lift your name up. We thank you, God, that you're a God on the move. And you're not a God that's just confined to the four walls, God. So send us. Use us, God. Help us to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.